Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. So we just got through our 100th episode, which was awesome. Awesome. Um, but we got to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And who we have on today, we keep yeah, I know. saying this, but I know. we just, I mean... Why do any of these people spend their time talking to us? Let's just yes. call it what it is. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So so we're going to have Scott Fitzgerald Gray on with us today. And Scott has had his hands in D&D. He, he started playing back in the AD&D days, uh-huh. first uh-huh. and second edition. He's had his hands in deeply, deeply. in um, three, three, five, four. Four and five. And now five fifth edition yep he caught what what made you all googly eyed was that oh, he was this is so cool he headed up the book for acquisitions incorporated yeah um, which is my absolute favorite dnd guide yeah and it Hands is down. it is and as you'll hear us say yeah. it's such a well-done book mm-hmm. and scott talks about it it was the book that they wanted to produce right and they were able to do it and they were their, able to do it to their liking without yeah. as many maybe limitations i think and i don't mean that in a negative way but no, they had yeah. so much control over it and well he'll, he'll explain it but he'll it explain is it a, much better it's than we a could. wonderful wonderful guide and the other thing is he's developed and he's in developing the core 20 yeah. role-playing system and core 20 mechanic which is a derivative and he'll explain because i ask about it he'll explain mm-hmm. the connections with um ogl and everything but with with some truly unique attractive features yes and Mm -hmm. obviously you'll hear it when he references traveler which has kind of been we both lit up should have seen your face oh yeah i was so excited because excuse me the idea of leveling and everything Mm -hmm. like that the 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 take he has on that and how he's adjusted the core 20 system for it I am really excited for uh, the public play test for this because I oh, really yeah. want to dig into it. And this is definitely one of those books because he's already said he's going to publish it. Um, this one's going to go on my shelf just because I could see this at some point being a D20 system that you and I would get a real kick out of playing yeah. just because of mm-hmm. how he's designed you know, in effect, life and career paths for characters. Oh, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly more impressed than anything that you are going to make an exception this time and pre-order and immediately buy a gaming book. Yeah, because that's happened so seldomly. Seldom. It's good yeah. of you to, to break that mold. Yeah, so mm-hmm. seldom. That's well, just look, really you know what? To, to your credit, at least to my knowledge, it yeah. has been multiple episodes since you have actually bought anything online while we're recording. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't because obviously I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be a little more responsible. Of, yeah, yeah, a little more responsive, yeah. responsible. Um, and obviously, um, with a couple other books that I purchased, yeah. um, I need. To, you know, I had and, some stuff on pre-order. And, right. I was going to say, and there's so, still stuff. Coming. And so I'm. Yeah. I and and we have so much stuff going on. And I you just, and I recently. I mean, not that just as this drops, just like a two, not even three months ago maybe three months ago, um, kind of audited 
our respective gaming bookshelves yes. and 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 sold or gave away those books which we just never played and we weren't going to yeah and i a lot of them were source books for games that right. we may or may not play i kept the core rule book um but um just you know i've kept my first edition and second edition reprints of ad and d mm. um I don't have much in 3.0. I have some 3.5 stuff that I've kept. Um, don't have much 4.0 be just because I wasn't around during 4.0. Right. Um, right. And then I kept, you know, I kept a certain slab of my 5.0 oh, stuff, including absolutely. Acquisitions Incorporated and the three core be. books, Players, right. Um, right. All of which Scott had a heavy hand in. Yeah, so we, we should just go over. Mind. Let's go. I Let's mean, go. it's so interesting. Scott Fitzgerald Gray has been flogging his imagination professionally since deciding he wanted to be a writer and abandoning any hope of a real career in about the fourth grade. The time since has seen him indulge in educational forays in science, arts, and film, and the bewildering variety of occupations that have driven his search for the secret of the human condition include information systems specialist, multimedia developer, teacher, facilitator, journalist, production manager, editor, graphic designer, and logger. So we were just before we hit before we hit record. Um, I showed my ignorance of geography north of the border, and Scott was Scott, our get friend, our guest Scott Fitzgerald Gray was actually showing or trying to visualize for me where they are, and that's just a gorgeous area. I would love oh to get God. up there someday. So Scott, thank you for the lesson, and thank you for joining us. We really yes. appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, thank you for the invitation. Awesome yeah. to be here. You you are a you are a novelist, an editor, writer, gamer, and I. That's just that's oversimplification of <laughs> everything that you've got going on. Um, you know, kind of a an overarching um, broad question: What got you down this road of maybe first gaming and then writing, or maybe writing then gaming? However, mm -hmm. it kind of played out for you. Yeah, um, it's a very long story. I mean, that that is actually a good summary, kind of, of, of my life, honestly. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, and I'm, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to be doing what I'm doing. I'm incredibly lucky to have been able to do it for as long as I've been doing it. I've been working. I've been gaming since uh, the early '80s. Mm -hmm. Started playing D and D when I was in high school. I'm of that particular age. AD and D first edition was kind right. of my game when wow. it came out. Um, worked in publishing for quite a long time when I got through university, uh, originally did a lot of computer science. That was sort of what I was intending to go into and sort of took a sidetrack into publishing at one point. So wound up doing a lot of print publishing, worked for newspapers, worked for magazines, uh, did a lot of book stuff, and then wound up um, in 2004 doing freelance editing for Wizards of the Coast on D&D okay. 3.5 edition. And that was just a weird sort of happy accident you know like a, a an interesting set of circumstances that sort of led me there and i've just been kind of just whacking away at that ever since just continuing to do editing doing writing and design on the game side i edit uh, fiction as well mm -hmm. other people's fiction i write a little bit of my own fiction uh used to do i don't do as much anymore but i used to do a fair bit of consulting and reading uh for film doing sort of like story editing for screenplays oh, uh, film studios film film production companies, film development agencies, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Haven't done as much of that recently just because I've been busy enough 
with the gaming stuff that that's uh, sort of taken first focus. And I enjoy that right. to the extent that if I have the opportunity to work on that, I'll happily do nothing else. <laughs> but you were even a gamer too. I think That's we kind of we kind of briefly yeah. hit on it before we hit record. You kind of you were doing you were gaming AD AD and D, yeah. Um, when you were young, and that's kind of so. So Wizards oh, yeah, wasn't yeah. kind it of all, one of those it, things you fell into. Yeah. I mean, no, no, yeah, no. It, it was all it was. It was one of those weird situations where you do something all your life, and you have no real conception that there's anything you can do marketable with that, and mm -hmm. then suddenly you realize, hey, wait a minute. Like I'd been, I'd been gaming for much of my life up to a point, and I'd been working in publishing for much of my life up to a point. And at some point in late 2003, I realized, hey, I could actually combine these two things because people do this professionally. I mean, my my ignorance of the industry when I first started out was was just was astronomical. There were so many things I didn't know. I didn't know that Wizards of the Coast or places like that actually worked with freelance editors. I assumed that they had all their people in house. I knew they right, did freelance right. design, but I was sort of working, I was writing uh, screenplays at that point in time and I had enough stuff going on for my, sort of trying to occupy my writing time. So I didn't really think, oh, you know, I'll take a shot at being a, a game designer or an adventure writer. But discovering that they were looking for freelance editors, which happened totally by accident. There was a wonderful, wonderful editor named Sue Wainland, who used to work for TSR way back in the day. Uh, yeah. At the point in time uh, that I started working for Wizards, she was running... Uh, a publishing company called Malhavik Press that did a lot of amazing uh, third edition stuff. And I was reading her blog because I loved reading her blog. She was a very interesting person. And she said she'd heard through the grapevine that Wizards of the Coast was looking for freelance editors and that anybody interested should drop a line to Chris Perkins. So I dropped a line to Chris Perkins. I said, you know, this is who I am. This is what I do. Here's my resume, lots of publishing stuff on it. And Chris, wonderful person that he is, did three of the most, three of the biggest professional favors anyone's ever done for me. Uh, the first favor that he did was he emailed me back to say, actually, Sue was a tiny bit incorrect. And it's actually Kim Mohan, who was the managing editor at the time, who was looking at resumes for, for freelance stuff, right? Which was great of him to do. The second thing he did was to say, don't bother contacting Kim. I've already forwarded your stuff to him. And I've explained based on nice. my reading of it, who you are, and that he's someone you should, uh, that I'm someone he should look at, which was wonderful. He then did the third and biggest favor, which he, in which he said, Kim is extremely busy. So you're going to have to harass him continuously in order for him to get back to you. Um, which was great because I'm absolutely one of those people who, if I email you twice and I don't hear back, I assume you don't want anything to <laughs> do with right. it. That's right. Yeah. Right. And, yep. It, yep. and it was the third or fourth email to Kim that he finally got oh. back to me and said, yeah, I have your stuff here. Um, so wow. Kim sent me an editing test, which was a fiendishly difficult uh, collection of pages. It was hard copy. So we had to mark it up in um, proofreaders marks that people oh. used to use at newspapers. Yeah. Uh, younger listeners, ask your parents what a newspaper was. You know, so that was <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, at that point, even at that point, back in this is mid two thousands, that was a skill set that not a lot of people had, right? Because newspaper and magazine publishing had been online for so long at that point that it was mm -hmm. sort of, uh, mm -hmm. it was it was a little bit of a lost art. So I knew how to do that. Uh, did the test. Kim was impressed with the results, and the first assignment that I got just at the very beginning of two thousand and four was the 3.5 book Complete Arcane, wow. uh, where I got to work with uh, Kim Mohan and uh, Chris Youngs, I think was the uh, the lead editor on that. And then they liked what I did and I just have been keeping at it ever since. Wow. Okay, so Maybe. fast. Oh, I'm go ahead, Brad. 
No, no, go right ahead. I was just gonna say, it's just just fast forward for a moment. We'll come back yeah. to your work on five E. Mm -hmm. Right. I, one doesn't even have to do a deep dive. So just like scrolling at your site, I is yeah. there any 5e you have not been heavily involved with? In truth, yes. Um, I, okay. I'm at, at the same. It's it's. At, I've I've worked on about half of the books that are that have been out for 5e kind of up to now. Sort of. Yeah. The, I think with the new with the new books that are coming out this year, yeah. uh, with Big B's and with the Planescape book. Yeah. I think the number. I think I will probably slip below 50 percent because I'm not working on any Wizards of the Coast stuff right now. Mm -hmm. But it's still a pretty. It's. I mean, it's a number that I have trouble believing. I had. I was. I was. Uh, I was doing another podcast with a friend of mine some time ago, and he made the comment, oh, Scott's worked on half the stuff for 5e, and I thought, that can't possibly be true. So I looked it up, and it was absolutely true, and it, it astounded me. And the big uh, half. Worked, yeah. Yeah, for, for a lot of things, yeah. I mean, I worked on, I was I was very fortunate enough, I'm so lucky to have been asked to work on the core books, because yeah. that was something, it was honestly a bit of a surprise. Um, I worked on I worked on D and D through three point five uh, mm -hmm. through all the way through fourth edition. Worked on the original four E mm -hmm. stuff. Worked uh, worked during the four E essentials era, mm -hmm. sort of towards the tail end of the line. And for fourth edition, uh, all of the all of the core book stuff had been done in house. Right, I got to work on fourth edition as, mm -hmm. pretty much as soon as fourth edition was announced. I was working mm -hmm. on adventures and I was working on follow ups. I got to write uh, one of the first four E adventures that appeared in Dungeon Magazine. Uh, which was a really cool piece that I quite still love called Heathen. It was an adaptation of, uh, it was a game, ad it was an adventure adaptation of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, which was the oh, same source material that uh, got turned into Apocalypse Now. So that was a lot oh, of fun okay. to work on. Um, so I was working on a lot of fourth edition as soon as fourth edition was announced, but I didn't work on the core books. And for fifth edition, I honestly assumed they were probably going to be doing the same thing. All the core stuff that, you know, they got great people in house, they'll be working on that. So I was surprised when I got an email from Greg Billsland, who was mm -hmm. uh, one of the executive producers at that point in time, uh, one of the one of the people I worked with most closely while he was at the company. Really great guy. And he said, we would like you to edit the Monster Manual. Wow. So I edited the Monster Manual for fifth edition, uh, which is to say the flavor text, uh, the wow. amazing Chris Sims, uh, editor and developer who was at who was in house at that time, uh, worked on the mechanics and the stat block side of things. I can't I imagine how anyone edits stat blocks for an entire book. It's it's tough, and it takes it take it takes someone like Chris, who's so exceptionally good at what he does, uh, to be able to do a job like that. It really does. Um, I got to work. I got to edit about half of the Ninja Master's Guide as well, and then mm -hmm. I was one of the many many people doing sort of proofreading and a final look on the player's handbook, uh, which was edited by uh, Michelle nice. Carter, another amazing uh, editor. Incredible. I mean, just that that just it's such a corpus. I mean, there's so many of these books and they've been so influential. And like we had mentioned right before we hit record, I am I know Brad is too, but I am particularly partial to Acquisitions Incorporated, their their source book. It's just <clears throat> I think it's I, I like I'm I, if anything, because of this podcast, I feel like I've become a little bit of of an editing and printing snob because like we've learned so much about how the sausage is made from the, the you know these people wonderful people like you who talk about it and the ack ink book it's just so well done in every way Thank and you. then i find it hilarious so yeah. it's it's just it's such a it's such a gem it's so unique um yeah. and this is you know i never followed it other outside of the game uh, outside of the book so for me this right. is it and i just love it yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you very, thank you so much. It was, it's a, it's a wonderful book. It's one of the, one of the, one of my favorite things that I've worked on in RPGs, absolutely in the top three, top four. Mm-hmm. Um, and was also one of the best experiences um, that I've had working on a book. It was, it was a, it was a lot of work. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy experience by any stretch of the imagination. The, mm-hmm. the, had some great people working on it and everybody working on the book gave like 150%, mm-hmm. you know, to try to make it as good as it could possibly be. But at the end of the day, it really was the book that we wanted it to be. It was a great, it was a great relationship because I'm for that book, um, I was managing editor in that book. I was co-creative director. I did some writing for it. I did some of the editing for it alongside, yeah. coincidentally, Chris Sims and and Michelle Carter, who I just mentioned as working mm-hmm. on the core books. They were they were the two editors on that book. Both did an amazing job. Uh, Teo Sabadi and Sean Merwin were the lead writers on that book. Uh, two amazing people, friends of mine for years now. Um, but we were all working for Penny Arcade. Mm-hmm. It's Wizards of the Coast book, and they were doing the book in conjunction with Wizards of the Coast. It was like a partnership. Right. right. And it was a wonderful arrangement because we got to make use of all of the resources that Wizards could give us. Yeah. Right. In terms of their incredible development team and, you know, sort of their their oversight and sort of the 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 things that they could tell us about, you know, here's what you need to do in order to make this book as good as it, you know, yep. can possibly be. And then they let us make the book as good as it could possibly be. Nice. You know, so there was stuff in there that absolutely I don't think would have appeared if it had been a Wizards of the Coast book. Okay. But because we were working on it at Penny Arcade, it was a separate thing. They had just right. enough distance where they could say, yeah, you know what? Go for it. Do that. We're, we're okay with this. Uh, Did, and the result was something that was very, very unique. I mean, it truly, it truly is. Um, I, I keep looking over. I mean, we're audio only, but like, Scott, you can, I keep looking over because it's right there on the shelf. Um, yeah. The... W- did that freedom, that access, did did that contribute to why this was such uh, an absorbing project? Why this was such a busy project compared to other books? Uh, for me, definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 interesting working as a freelance editor for Wizards because I've only ever been a freelancer for them. I've never been, I've never worked mm-hmm. in the office. I've never been an employee. Um, and it's an interesting process because you're a you're a you're a very important part of a very complex machine. Mm-hmm. working as a freelancer, whether it's a freelance yeah. designer, freelance editor, uh, the amazing freelancers who do much of the art for the D&D books. Right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's kind of working independently and you're working with people who kind of coordinate everyone's efforts. But you always kind of feel like you're, you have the opportunity to do your best work, right? But at some point, you know, um, somebody else sort of takes takes charge of things and make sure that everything fits in the way that, they, sure. that it has to fit. One yeah. one really basic example is books. I mean, this isn't just a Wizards of the Coast thing. This is all most RPG books. A lot of RPG books, most RPG books, I suspect, are written longer than they turn out, right? Because it's easier okay. to cut good copy down into really good copy Absolutely. than it is to say we don't have enough good copy to fill this book. What are we going to do? Yep. Right? Yep. That's the situation nobody wants to be in, right? right? So for the Ack Inc. book, because we were the ones who were in charge of that, we were very, very, we were we were able to very, very closely figure out what we needed and make sure that everything that we wanted to write was in the book, right? There were a small number of things that kind of fell by the wayside for space mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, for sort of content. We thought, well, you know, we've done this here. We don't need to do this other thing as well. We can set that Fair. aside. Yep. But for the most part, the book that we put out with the Ack Inc. book was exactly the book that we had envisioned. Nice. Um, the book that uh, uh, Teos and Sean were working on the project actually even before I came in. So Teos, Sean, Alyssa, and Jerry were the ones who were initially the initial concepting. 
talking about what the book could be. Then they brought me in to sort of coordinate things and just sort of, and then we just sort of ran with it from there. But the book that came out was exactly the book that everyone had been envisioning. It was exactly the book we wanted it to be. And that's a, that's a really cool feeling because that doesn't always happen. That's really cool. So of course you've written a ton beyond just quote unquote RPGs. I have, yeah. I, I, um, in all yeah, of your I, free I, time? I, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any free time. That's right. Actually, actually part of the problem. I'm the, I'm the luckiest person in the world. Okay. All, cool. of, all, of, all of my complaints are complaints that so many people around me, so many yeah. my friends, the people that I work with would love to have. My, my primary problem in terms of work is I have so much, I, I work so much for other people um that i don't have as much time as i would like to work on my own stuff okay and you know even even within that i mean it gets it gets better slash worse in terms of that being a complaint mm -hmm. about my life because the work that i'm doing is mostly it's almost almost exclusively 100 with people i really want to work with yeah. people who are friends of mine Lovely. people whose talent i greatly admire and i i just so much want to be a part of what they're doing mm -hmm. so they reach out to me or i reach out to them and i get to work on stuff with them and it's amazing and then at the end of the day, I go, oh, I'm too tired and I have no time. I have to go to bed now. You know, and I just want to kind of work on my own stuff. I've got, I've got, yeah, I've, I've, I've written some novels. I have, I have other novels that I've really, that are partly started and partly finished that I really wow. want to complete. Yeah. Um, I've got even gaming projects, my own stuff. I've got a ton of ideas for adventures and things that I really want to put out. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's always a struggle to try to find the time to work on those in and, you know, in, to, to slot them in around other stuff that I'm doing for other people. So yeah, speaking of the gaming thing, just because it's something you've been talking about too on Twitter and all that, um, yeah. uh, core 20 core 20. Yeah. Core 20 is another big thing right now. I have to find more time to work on, um, core 20 is a new game that I'm going to be putting out, uh, going to be putting it out in a play test this year. I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping by September because everything in it is coming very, it's very, very close to finally coming together. It's a it's a very cool game. It's a game that I've been it's a game that I've been working on and playing for over 10 years now, but not working on in the sense that, you know, I sit down and I put 10 hours or 20 hours a week into it. It just it started off, it's a it's a it's a it's a version of DD. It's a D20 based mm -hmm, fantasy mm -hmm. game, which has no classes and no levels. Okay. So it's built around mm. the idea of totally freeform character building. Where you can go in and you can select sort of pieces of the 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 heroic fantasy puzzle for your character. You can decide exactly what you want your character to be, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is which is antithetical to what D and D is. D and D has always been an archetypal game of fantasy, right? And that's one of the that's one of the great strengths of D and D. I'm not knocking that. Mm -hmm. You know, I love D and D. I love Fifth Edition. Uh, I think Fifth Edition is is absolutely the best version of D&D that's ever been released it's it's absolutely the most idealized form of what the game could be yep, yep. um but at the time that I started playing D&D way back in the 80s uh the second game I started playing was Traveler the science fiction ah uh, there it is I, I was, <laughs> and I was going to ask you I'm glad yeah. you brought it up oh yeah yeah and one one of the things about Traveler and who's played it knows Traveler has no costs Traveler has effectively very free form character building. You can get, you can select stuff from all sorts of different areas of your background and your, your military service. Cause that's sort of the default, the way Traveler mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so I loved D and D I loved AD and D when I started playing, I loved Traveler when I started playing it. 
And I thought to myself, back in the 80s, literally back in the 80s, wouldn't it be great if somebody wrote a version of D&D that was more like Traveler, where it was just sort of freeform stuff, you didn't have any yeah, classes and levels. Yeah. And I thought to myself at that time, quite, quite honestly, oh, somebody's going to do that, I can hardly wait to play it. And so I waited for someone else to do this, and they didn't do it. So I waited a little more. And I waited a little bit more. And finally, I said, you know what, screw it. I'm, I, I, at this point, I should do this myself. Um, so Core 20 started out as just a selection of house rules for my for a 3.5 campaign that I was playing, even into this was this was in the fourth edition year, fourth edition had come out. Mm -hmm. But I was playing a campaign with some friends of mine, uh, uh, two of the friends I started gaming with way back in high school, uh, who are still in my game today, which is pretty cool. And so I just had this idea. I said, hey, I've got this idea for something I'd like to try. Do you want to just, you know, turn our campaign into this and test it out? And they were like, yeah, this sounds great. So the first set of the first edition, the first version of Core 20 was effectively just a set of rules saying, OK, here's a bunch of class features, right, from the existing mm -hmm. class setup. And here's how you can take them independently of the class. Right. Here's how we're going to break them down. And so we played with that for a while and had a great time. So I started adding stuff to it. And then I added a little more to it. Mm -hmm. And it was always just something I worked on kind of in my spare time, always still thinking, well, somebody else is going to do this at some point. Right. I don't want to put too much effort into this, you know, because I'll end up playing someone else's really cool classless D&D game sooner or later. Uh, and eventually got to the point where I realized, OK, I've probably done more work on this than anybody else is going to do. So I might as well just actually turn it into an actual system. And so that's been the progress over the last probably three or four years, just sort of fine tuning it and doing extra development. It's the we're kind of we're kind of in like the sixth edition of the rules right now. And we've been playing it for this long. It's, it's sort of been in what you'd call, I guess, closed alpha playtesting because I've had different folks playing it. Everybody who plays it seems to enjoy it, seems to like it. So I'm hoping that's a good sign. Uh, I want to get the playtest out uh, this year and then hopefully look to do something with it some sort of official publishing thing in 2024, uh, ideally oh. early 2024. Nobody dies during character creation, right? Not yet. <laughs> oh, good answer. <laughs> no, good no answer. one dies in character creation. Um, it's, character creation at this point is, is, is all just freeform. You choose what you want to do, but you can choose within certain parameters. If you know the system, Right. If you've played Core 20 a few times, you can just sit down and just build a character piecemeal. You can say, I'm going to take this, 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 flip through different sections of the book. I want this because I want a little bit of magic. I want this because that's the combat style mm -hmm. I want to focus on. If you don't know the system, that's a little bit daunting. So the character creation yeah. rules as they stand now, and the, which will be coming out in the playtest, set up different paths that one can take. So you can start out with an archetypal build. And you can say, okay, you're just you're just going to select the following features, and your and your starting character is ready, right? So if you're playing a warrior archetype, you've got a bunch of combat stuff, you've got a bunch of stuff for defense, a bunch of stuff for for your hit points, right? And you're basically ready to go. And it's effectively the same as building building a fifth edition fighter, right? If you want to play an arcanist, then you pick the following things, and you've got your spells, and you're also ready to go. And then there's a third path, which is you can select sort of groups of features where you say, okay, I want to choose this for fighting. And I'm going to use this. I use like five of my five of my available 20 features when I'm starting. And this is going to give me all the combat stuff I want. Then I'm going to pick this for spell use. So I'm going to build sort of, you know, like an archetypal first edition AD&D fighter magic user, right? Um, and then you can also, in addition to all that, everything is... Everything is entirely flexible. Once you get things set up, if you decide you don't like something, you can just swap it out. It works with the idea that when when we learn things, it's very easy to unlearn them. 
So if you decide you want to take a particular path, like if you want to say, I think my, I think my, my, I think my, my combat focused character is going to be very, very sneaky. I'm going to take sneak attack, right? That's sort of our type of rogue thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be really good at hiding. And you play a few sessions and you realize actually my character, the personality of this person really needs to be in front more. I'm not taking advantage of this hiding stuff as much as I would like to. You can just retrain that and you can swap that old stuff out for something new, right? Basically um, mimicking the effect of, of, of what people like me do where I learn stuff and then I forget about it immediately after I stop using it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. there's, yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> so many pointing things up, I pointing used at to myself. Yep. Yeah. So many things I used to know how to do in my life that I can't do anymore. So I think that the game is realistic in that regard. So two questions with that. Yeah. Um, so you're going into play test. Your goal is to actually like publish this like in book form then? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the the goal is to publish the game and the game the game absolutely will be published. In the worst case Excellent. scenario, you know, where we get some we get people playtesting it and a bunch of people like it, but 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 there's not enough people liking it that I can look at it and say, you know, if, if we do a big Kickstarter for this, it, it probably won't go as far as I need it to go. Then I'm absolutely going to release it just as a game, like, and it'll be a hobbyist thing and people can play it and that'll be great. And I'll be very happy with that because I think people will enjoy it. If we can get enough interest going during the play test, then yeah, I absolutely will want to see it put out as a series of books. I mean, the the game, the game at this point, I've been working at it long enough that it, you know, it, it, it definitely needs additional rounds of editing. It's going to need additional development. The thing I would like most to do with it is just to make it look beautiful. Yeah. You know, to make it look like a great game, a game that where the art and the 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 graphic design kind of suggests to you the type of the type of heroic fantasy that I really want the game to be. So we'll see what happens with that between between the fall of this year and uh, and the uh, winter and early spring of next year. It's something that's been on my radar for a while because and and you explained it really well is this idea and and I was going to ask you about the the without it I'm glad you said traveler because I was like it kind of feels yeah. like where it's where I don't have to be a fighter I don't have to be a exactly, wizard yeah. I don't have to be a cleric I can yeah. I can be a person who oh, I can be a character who over time has learned these skills and is yeah. a from a D and D perspective a mishmash yeah um, did did um, you know and again it may not have had any effect it did the the situation with the OGL and everything all that that hype and craziness that went on with all of that did that affect yeah. anything related to your game um it did i mean it, it it didn't in the sense that i'm not i'm not worried about you know moving forward with the game it it threw a big wrench into it i i, I literally i literally announced the game i think in december december was the first post i put out and i did the first sort of um design and development blog update saying hey here's what the game is here's a first look at some stuff i'm going to be you know doing regular posts talking about it and the ogl thing hit literally three weeks later out of nowhere. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I don't know what to do going forward. Um, I took a really hard look at the game because I mean, the, the game, the game starts out kind of or started out built around the the core, which is which is in some way kind of where the name of the game came from, of the 3.5 version of the game. It has since mm -hmm. absorbed slash stolen a lot of stuff from fifth edition as well because I love a lot of what 5th edition is doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I started out during 3.5 because the, the game predates 5th edition by a number of years. Um, and I actually went through and said, okay, how much is still left of the original 3.5 SRD text? And if push comes to shove and if things go as badly as they could, as it looked like they might have gone at that point in time in January, how much work is it going to be to just rewrite the stuff here 
so that this game is basically clean. Yeah. Um, and it wouldn't have been very much. So I had that sort of in my back pocket. I was thinking this is going to take some extra time, but it definitely would have been doable. I mean, that's something that uh, that folks are doing even now with the fifth edition SRD, even though the fifth edition SRD is in Creative Commons mm-hmm. and it's eminently usable and mm-hmm. it being in Creative Commons, there's nothing anyone can do to take it away at this point, which is wonderful. I think that was a, that was a really bold uh, and very, very uh, impressive move on Wizards' part. Uh, Level Up 5e, for example. Uh, I've just gone through the process, I think, where they're saying, yeah, we we want to just, you know, do another pass on what we're doing here to make sure that it's not dependent on the SRD in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pathfinder, of course, is doing its own thing mm-hmm. to cut out the last vestiges of the 3.5 SRD, which right. Pathfinder 2nd mm-hmm. Edition inherited through Pathfinder 1st Edition. Right. So the, the changes that, they're, that they've been making, lots of folks are talking about it because it's a pretty it's a pretty big scope of what they've what they've chose to do with their uh, yeah. with their with their reboots of of, of the current books. Um, it ultimately didn't affect my plans, though, and I, I, I think my second my second blog post after the first blog post where I said, oh, I'm so excited to be here and announce this game. The second one was, I'm going to put this game out even if I'm not allowed to. Um, so we'll just sort of take it from there. <laughs> thankfully, not, thankfully, not long yeah, after that. Awesome. Yeah, thankfully, not long after that, uh, it turned out I'm technically allowed to. Um, but it'll be, it'll be interesting. I would love to see Wizards put the 3.5 SRD into Creative Commons which is something they have talked about doing because yeah. it means that I can put my game out and say, I'm using these two SRDs, both creative right. commons, as opposed to having right. one creative commons and then one OGL because the existing yeah. OGL is back or the it's back and it's not going anywhere as far as anyone knows, mm-hmm. but it would be nice just to sort of have one, one sort of, uh, one sort of place to, to, to hang all this stuff on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so always fascinated here because Chase, but neither of us have any leg in the game. We we watch this from the outside, but when we mm-hmm. talk to which he's if he's got people can't see it because we're a podcast, but you got the coolest. It's man. a great mug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such, <laughs> it's, it's 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 the D. It's the D and D. This is the, the black the black D and D mug with the red ampersand. Yeah, yeah. highly coveted. But but I but I just was I, I'm always interested to hear from like like people who are doing this development like from your perspective how that affected yeah. because we don't so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're watch. We're watching this. You know, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't affect yeah. me directly a lot. It affected me. Um, it affected me a lot, insofar as a lot of people that I love and respect and have worked with, or even you know people I've never worked with but you know yeah. hope to work with someday, yeah. they really took a bad hit. A lot of people just kind of looked at looked at the OGL thing, and even before it was resolved, yeah. just said, "I think I'm done." Yeah, and that was so frustrating and so sad to see. Uh, somebody pointed out the 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 any awards, which were just announced a few weeks yeah. ago now. Uh, a couple of people pointed out, yeah, there's a there's a there's a not insignificant number of publishers on this list with great products who aren't in business anymore because they were oh. publishers who had stuff out last year, did great books, books that are worthy of nomination and absolutely worthy of winning these awards, right? And they just said, I don't think I can do this anymore, right? I mean, the 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 RPG business is so small to begin with. Yeah. Right. And it's always it's always very much a labor of love. Mm-hmm. And everyone who's working in it needs to be very careful that they don't you know that that labor of love thing doesn't become an excuse for doing work that's undervalued. And that's a huge topic of conversation, probably too broad to go into just in just sort of in a general chat. But um, yeah, it's just it's 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 very easy for people to for for one tiny little wrinkle like that. Right. Just even the possibility that somebody's business model is going to be disrupted to some extent, or they're going to have to deal with an extra level of headache in terms of, you know, I need to report how much money I'm making to another company. 
in order to continue doing what I do. And for a lot of people, it was enough to just say, I'm not doing that. I I, I was doing this because of the creative freedom that the OGL gave me. Right. And I feel like that's been, I feel like there's, there's an element of betrayal there. I think is, is, I think is how a lot of people took it uh, and and very rightfully so. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's what, you know, I've been watching your, your, your stuff on, on core 20, but I think with what happened and again, you know, I, I don't, neither of us have a leg in the game. I think there's obviously a tension now paid towards companies that do have these fantasy realm games that they can play that are different. Yeah. And they're looking for those, those smaller publishers and all that. And that's what really, what core 20 really drew my attention and, to not and, only the, yeah, you know, you. yeah. And that's, I mean, toward that, to that point, just to add that before you respond that the courtesy of, shall we call it a, a kerfuffle for yes. lack of a better way of the explosive growth in attention that mm-hmm. that afforded to all of these smaller and or indie publishers who otherwise yeah. wouldn't have gotten traction because people weren't actively looking for alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, one of the most interesting thing that's, things that's come out of the OGL debacle um, which is the word I, I usually use yeah. when I'm talking about it. Yeah. Uh, it's just the fact of how many, we, we, we have different fifth edition games coming out right now, which is an astounding development, right? Level Up 5e predated the OGL thing. That was EN Publishing's um, uh, take on fifth edition, right? It was sort of like, like an updated, uh, 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 an advanced set of rules built around 5e, but still fully compatible with 5e. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, 5e hypersonic or anything like that. Yeah. You can still, you can, you can still play with both. I know people who, you know, are, are, are playing stock 5e, but they love the level up monster book, you know, so they're using monsters nice. from level up in yeah, their yeah. regular 5e games and they're fully compatible. Right. But we, right, so we got level up 5e, uh, Cobalt Press doing Tales of the Valiant, yeah. which they announced, you know, I think I, I, I was one of those people who, when they announced it, so closely on the heels of the OGL announcement, the initial OGL announcement where they said we're, yeah. we're reauthorizing the OGL and there's going to be some changes and there's a new sheriff in town. I was one of the many people like who were like, oh, okay, you know, they're saying they've been working on this game for a long time, but I'm wondering if that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I apologize to them because it's clearly obviously true. Like they've gotten, they've oh, gotten wow. the play test book out in the alpha version out so quickly. You know, this is something clearly they were working on for a long time. Clearly yeah. another labor of love project. Right. You know, saying, hey, you know, we love 5e, but we'd like to do some stuff a little bit differently. Yep. Wouldn't it be cool if we took this approach? Yep. Cubicle 7 has said that they're going to do their own 5e compatible game. I haven't heard much about that recently, mm-hmm. but I think that's still a going concern. So you're in a weird position now where literally by next year, if you're if you're a person who says, I love 5th edition D&D, Someone could ask you which of the five versions of fifth edition D and D do you prefer to play? Which yeah. is your favorite, right? Yeah. Because you're going to have people who are playing Level Up. You're going to have people who are playing Tales of the Valiant. You're going to have people who are playing the 2024 game. You're going to have people who are sticking with the 2014 game. You know, everybody's right. going to have their own preferred right. form of the type of five E that they love to play. Which I think is an is it's an amazing development. Um, I hope that it leads to a conclusion where it helps grow the hobby right i think there's a exactly yeah. that yeah like i, th- I think I, th- I think there's a chance that it does the opposite but you know really? I, just in terms of, of 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 having having a smaller having a, a more pieces of pie but the pie plate stays the same right so the number of people who are playing tale, who are yeah, playing tales fair. of the valiant the number of people who are playing level up may not be robust enough to turn those games into a real thriving 
gaming ecosystem and a real thriving community mm-hmm. of players. But I don't think that's likely. It seems more likely that the excitement of having different ways to play D&D, different ways to play 5e fantasy, different ways to play D20 based games, I think will be a good thing because I think it will probably expose more people to the possibilities um, of what, what the games can do. And especially especially if games like Tales of the Valley do things a little bit differently. So if you have players who are like, ah, you know, I played 5e and it didn't quite grab me because it doesn't do X the yeah. way I like yeah. my fantasy games to do. Somebody else can say, well, if you like X, have a look at this, right? And I think yes. that's a, there's there's a huge potential there that I hope comes to, I hope, hope it turns out as well as, as, as I and a lot of people want it. Yeah, just as a Just for those that are listening. So um, if they're interested, and I'm not wrapping this up right yet, although we, we want to mm-hmm. be cognizant of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're interested in Core 20, they can, they can follow you on Twitter. Um, you have a website for it, correct? Uh, yeah, there's. Um, I'm, I'm on. I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm on Mastodon, Dice Camp, and I'm on Blue Sky, all as Scott F. Gray. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty easy to find there. Um, I also have there's a there's a design and development blog for Core Twenty, which mm-hmm. is at yes. Core20RPG.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so you can go there, and that's got just sort of yeah, just sort of updates and previews. I did a preview uh, this morning, I think. Uh, yes. Just, uh, talk, talking about the spellcasting, spellcasting oh, yeah. and magic setup. You know, so looking at looking at the ways that characters can choose to choose to take on you know magical power, channel magical power themselves. Mm-hmm. And there's there's the traditional paths of spellcasting, but there's also some some slightly different ways uh, that you can take that approach as well. Um, so like like talking about like like in like in in, in standard D D, you can say I want to play a cleric, I want to yeah. play a druid, I want to play a a wizard or a sorcerer or a warlock. Um, there are even more options than that in Core 20 because there are different ways to play a cleric. There are different ways to play uh, Druid, different play, ways to play an Arcanist. Um, you know, even, even, even more so than just saying, I'm, I'm going to choose a different subclass, mm-hmm. which gives me a slightly different focus, right? You can, choose, you can choose to play someone who loves to have the widest range of spells possible, but doesn't need to cast them all, you know, 15 times a day. You can play mm-hmm. someone who's just like, I have these four spells that I'm really good at and I really like. And I'm gonna I'm gonna not waste any resources learning new spells. I'm gonna simply put all those resources into casting these spells as effectively and as potently as I possibly can. Yeah, that's cool. Right? So yeah. okay, so so as we do start to head toward the end here, then a question might be totally unfair. So so fair warning. No, no problem. If you were going to draw up a PC, right? To play in Ooh. core twenty. Given yeah. I warned you, given how you're building this so obviously there's no insider information here but if 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 it's out in the wild it's done at least one oh is done and 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 it's like all right you know scott we're gonna we're gonna run your game you want to play at least tonight what what would you draw up who would you want to play I can I can say just just to lead off the best the best part of that dream is actually finding someone else to run a game for me because I am a forever DM. <laughs> I, <can't laughs> I, I would love yeah. to. I would very much yeah. I would very much love to see that scenario come out. Um, <laughs> I would probably I have a fondness from the AD and D days. I have a fondness for the 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 absolute most optimal multi class, which was the elf fighter magic user thief. If you were playing an elf, that was the one you tried to play because you could do so much. The downside was you leveled up never. 
Because in AD&D, if you were playing a multi-class character, your experience got divided evenly between mm -hmm. the three classes. So while your other single-class characters were going up to third right. level, you'd still be slugging along as a 1-1-1. One, one, one. Okay. And then you would creep up to a 1-2-1 one, one, and then a 1-2-2. Yeah. Two, two. You know, so it was fun to play at the outset, uh, but there was very slow advancement. But I love that archetype. I always have. Mm -hmm. So that might be something I would try to rebuild because I don't think, think of all the characters that I've run in my games, I don't think anyone's quite done that particular archetype before. And I love that archetype. So I would, I would love to do that. The other thing I would do is definitely do, do an unusual magic user. Um, okay. There's systems in the game where if you don't want to be a spellcaster, you can instead simply learn certain spells as innate abilities. So oh, you're a person yeah. who just, you know, something happened when you were a child or you, you know, touched a magical relic that you, you know, found in the, That's cool. dug up in the barn or something like that. Right. And you can now cast, for example, you know, like a spell like uh, um, um, Lesser Dimension Door three times a day, right? So it's your one magical thing. And you just think to yourself, there's so many, there's so many things that that, so many other types of characters that I could feed into. Yeah. If I want to play like a second story type rogue, right? I can go in and out of any building automatically unless it's right. magically warded, right? In a way that most other people cannot, it, it, right? It if actually, I want to play a fighter, I can reposition myself on the battlefield in ways that my enemies cannot predict. I mean, and, and certainly I mean, there, there's, there's 5e builds that do that, right? If you're playing, yeah. if you're playing like, like, like a, a, a fighter type who's got um, yeah. Misty Step and that sort of thing, you know, mm -hmm. this isn't, this isn't novel, but it's something, it's something that Core 20 really lends itself to. Just thinking to yourself, here's a cool ability, but more so than just, you know, here's a cool thing I can do. What are the other cool things I can springboard off of right. with this? Because there's so much potential. Boy, I'm glad I asked that question. That's fascinating. Mm. The movie potential is huge. I mean, just <laughs> listening to that, like, like the every one of those examples would be, okay, that would be a great movie. Especially like if we were going back to like say the mid to late 80s and the protagonist was a teenager. We would have sure. all been all over that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> hey, you know, as we wrap up here, thank you so yeah. much for taking oh, the yeah. time. We didn't even touch so on So interesting. Yeah, half the topics. We'd love to have you back at some point. Like we were talking about some of the philosophical discussions about, yeah. you know, about the industry. I would love to get your take on that. I would absolutely love to be back anytime at all. Thank Perfect. you. Plan on it. Thank you, Thank so, you so much. much. Yeah. yeah. So again, we'll put in the show notes for those that are listening yep. um, to check out Core 20, check out Scott on Twitter mm -hmm. and Mastodon and some of the other social media locations. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you you know, your books are available out on Amazon, you know, some of the yeah, novels everywhere. and everything yeah. that you wrote. Yeah. So Again, thank you so much for for everything and for all the work you've done. Because we as co we as consumers have enjoyed it. Yeah, so. thank you very much. We definitely just just alone, Scott. Thank Thanks. you so much yeah. for for joining us. And we definitely the we've, we've we talked will about have you back because the yeah. idea the the yeah. the philosophy and the, yep. the philosophical implications of licensing and everything like that yep. having having been involved with so many editions of that's right of gaming systems um you know what's funny is is that i had to look up while we were talking i think most of it happened before we hit record just the idea where he's located up in in bc british columbia yeah, yeah. um and we didn't get a chance, Scott. We were going to, uh, you mentioned this, talk about logging. That would have been cool, to, you know. I don't know how we missed that one. But again, yeah. we, we we really, we would love to have you back. And like like you said, Brad, to 
and like what, what we talked about the three of us off air afterwards um there's so much philosophically to discuss and you and i you and i were rookies around this because we're so new to the industry but but scott has such a deep wealth of familiarity um, within and adjacent to uh you know wizards and these others um that would make for just a really interesting i think topically current discussion yeah absolutely and i mean you can go out to just amazon alone and see all the different books that have his name attached to them independent of even his D stuff um the novels and everything that he has written he is he is up there with one of the more prolific writers that we've talked big with time in our time here um and we've been very lucky i mean let's yeah. be honest yeah all the people that we've been talking to that have been writers mm-hmm. and we talk about this mm-hmm. in many extents in yeah. our hundredth episode yep um but just the amount of writers yeah and and editing yes and and and, and all of these things yeah yeah so scott thank you so much Hey, so as we head over to um, the GM corner, yeah. why don't you go first? What's What's been going on with you on that end? So I'm thinking about our recent interviews and our, our a number of our uh, just offline discussions around gaming in the past couple months now. Maybe this sounds silly. I think we are both being inextricably pulled toward an inevitable experience with traveler yeah it's not gonna come soon because we just don't have the time we're Mm -hmm. focused on the podcast we're focused on the interviews we're focused on our writing for star trek new voyages right on tiktok we've got and we're loving it but at some point sooner than later uh we have to address this on the podcast we we have to reach out to people involved with Traveler, and you and I have to spend some time together in the game, in the books. I think they're just, I'm convinced of that after these recent interviews over the past month or two. There are just so many threads that keep us just coming back to it in passing. That's well, yeah, just, that's, I mean, we yeah. had... We had we had Matthew on from from Mongoose, mm-hmm. and that's huge, produces, of course. Yep. Yeah, um, I would love at some point you, 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 to have Mark Miller on, who is the father of Traveler, right? Um, and the creator of Traveler Five, which is um, a three book, in effect, encyclopedia of Traveler. Right. Um, and ironically, I haven't told you this, but um, they're out on Drive Through RPG. This is the book. That I, I, I saw read. that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I picked up the facsimile nice. version of the first three books. And oh, that's cool. Did it in drive through RBG. I did it yeah. in print. So nice. Um, I just, I, I still am fascinated by the idea that it was so not on our radar because we were mm-hmm. still dipping our toes in. Yeah. And we love Trek, mm-hmm. Trek stops. We love star Wars, but love there D&D. is love D and D, but there is a grittiness Yep. with Traveler that I think we could leverage with our Moonbase project down the road. Oh, yes. Right. Like this is this is one to think about along with like Modern Age and some of the others of yeah. just 
just, okay, how do you give it a real feel? And, you know, like you said, not, not too long ago, um, something that has a bit more crunch yeah, that would allow us to leverage that. And what's nice about traveler is that it's modular. You can have it as crunchy or as, Mm -hmm. as simple as you want. Um, glass cannon did a season playing traveler. And I think you mentioned to me, I missed it that they're Mm going to do a second season with it. That's my understanding. Um, but yeah, that's it's, and and I think I've mentioned on here and I've told you that's a 2024 project for us. Yes, exactly. Right. Yep. Um, just cause we're coming to the end of the year school starts for mm-hmm. you, um, a lot going on, mm-hmm. but I foresee us, I'm looking over at my traveler shelf along with my traveler 2300 and even twilight 2000, which was another game that um, games workshop did. Um, I see us getting into that at some point um, yeah, just because yeah. uh, we've talked about it. High fantasy still of interest. Fantasy age second edition is kind of the game we've been talking about uh-huh. um, with our friends at green Ronin yeah. and, but sci-fi still our first love when it comes to game. Yeah. Yeah. So much, so much is going on. In Sorry. I hijacked your, I yeah, hijacked no, your no, you update. didn't. This is, this, this is exactly it. So like, I think with that, we should, we should end it. Let everybody take a breather. Um, we will be back, as always, in two weeks. And then, with the arrival of October, somehow, uh, we're going to talk to um, talk to some pretty neat scholars about some pretty neat scholarship. Pew, pew. That's all we're going to say. Be well. Stay well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. 